what I'd like to do t- again, I discussed what I wanted to do with Brian, and he said, no, Rolf, no don't do that don't do that, he said, no, he said like, you know, the crowd's a little bit fragile and he wants him to come back next week so I said, well, what should I do? so he said, like, do something, you know, like, interesting and I said, no way so unfortunately, we're going back to option one so <laughs> option one, again Please, anyone can feel free to leave at any time. Um, you know, if you, if, if, if you do want tomatoes, apparently Brian's got a, a, a rotten supply. What, what I'd like to do today is, this is, this is the basic, the basic theme is, is it's, it's a field of Yiddishkeit which to, to many people has become lost. And what it has the power to do is to transform Judaism from by road practice to experience and do it in a very powerful way. And what I what, what, what rips my heart out is we have got the greatest, almost unrivaled spiritual heritage. Spiritual heritage. That means we were around before Christianity and Islam were invented. We've got meditative techniques which are possibly the most sophisticated in the world. We've got a range of spiritual apparatus which is immense. And the tragedy is that the, often the periphery experience of Judaism, it looks like an empty, dead religion. I've been into shuls, which are more like graveyards than shuls. You go to the shuls and people are davening, but you can't be absolutely sure if they're davening or they're dead. <laughs> and the only time you like figure out, well, you see signs of life when there's time to chatter. But other than that, in the times of prayer, so you look at these people and you think, gosh, if there's ever anything I want to be in my life, it's not like that. So that's not a great PR for Yiddishkeit. It's not going to attract you to go to shul. So I think that's a complete, no, I think it is, it's a complete and total misrepresentation. And if anyone wants to experience firsthand what davening is all about, please come to Jerusalem and join me in my minion. And my father will testify, hey dad, no one's sleeping in that minion. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm sold. That's it. Yes, I got it. I got it. I knew it. I knew it. And Josh, that's just a dubbing. <laughs> we haven't gone into the learning yet. So I'd like to start off now. One of the uh, we'll expand when we'll we'll juggle around this topic a lot. But I'd like to start with probably one of the most fascinating introductions to a Jewish book. It's a book which is uh, I borrowed this from Brian. As you can see, it's well used. As I mentioned, I did crack the binding as I opened it. Um, no, I'm not saying that you should be studying it. It's only the most fundamental text of self-development. It's called, it's called Misilat Yesharim, The Path of the Upright. And now he begins, he begins with probably 
the most jarring lines that one could begin a book with. Omar Mechaber says the author of the book, This composition I have not compiled to teach people what they don't know. Now, that is a very strange thing to say. It's a strange thing to say if you're writing a normal book which focuses on the sciences or secular wisdom because there's no point to it. But it's emphasized and even exaggerated when it comes to Torah because Torah, if you present piece of, a piece of information which is either I'm able to deduce, deduce through logical reasoning or it's been stated elsewhere, the natural approach to such a text would be, in Hebrew, Aramaic, Pshita, Michael Mashmelon. That is obvious. Why does it need to be taught? Any piece of information which is not novel, for us, is worthless. Because it's been taught elsewhere. I could have figured it out for myself. You don't need to waste my time. There's an integrity to the way that our books are written, and no one repeats something which you could get from an external source. Because he's not here to waste your time, he's here to inform you with new and exciting ideas. And if you introducing me to something which I already know, so then you're simply wasting time, space, pages, books. And comes along the Ramchal, the author of this book, Moshe Chaim Lutzato, who was one of the most for, foremost Kabbalists, Kabbalists of his time. He wrote an enormous range of different books, majority of them referring to Kabbalah, and died at the age of 39. Um, yeah, an incredible man. And he begins his book by saying, Omar HaMechabe, I haven't written this book to teach people what they do not know. So why have you written it? Why are you wasting my time? If I read those lines, I close the book and say very much, now I understand why Brian hasn't opened it. <laughs> he, he started reading it and he says, <laughs> put it back on the shelf. We solved the mystery. Let's go on a little bit and see what he says. El or rather, what I want to do, though, with the purpose of this book, is to teach you what you already know. Again, puzzling. If I know it, you don't have to teach it to me. I already know it. Why do you need to be taught something you already know? And he goes on to explain. The things that I'm about to tell you, people have it. They know them. But now he comes to the point. Elo. In response, in accordance to the degree to which you know them, and to the extent that they are clearly true to you, so too do we avoid them and forget about them. Now he's bringing in a whole new world. The world is that there are two types of different genres in Torah. The one genre in Torah is, like we said previously, there's an introduction to a novel idea. A novel idea means that in my mind, I did not know this information beforehand, I looked at things differently, and the goal of the author is to say to me, do you know what? Let's tweak this and everything else will look different. And you go, wow, that 
is when the chidush, the new idea, is in your mind, in your understanding, in your intellect. There's a whole new field of Torah. That's when the chidush I'd like to teach you, the new idea, is not located in your mind. It's not new in your mind. It's old in your mind. But it's new in your being. So you see he's starting to go towards the notion of experience and away from intellect. And those are two crucial, crucially different things. Intellectually. Our intellectual world and our experiential world can often be very, very far away from one another. And he says, the point of what I'm trying to do now is I'm not trying to teach you information. I'm trying to redesign the entire experience of that information. How do you do that? He continues and he says the following thing. Therefore, since sorry thumbage you must good um, it's, uh, I generally try not to use too much thumbage in um, in in foreign crowds but certain times it's just unavoidable I'm not going to do just in terms of safety precautions the Australian government has already warned me the rules no large arc swings so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to limit it to short small circular jabbing thumb movements with the, the elliptical move. Now, therefore, if it would be that the goal of the book would be teach me something new, the purpose would be realized through reading through it. But if the goal of the book is to teach me to be something else, so it won't happen by reading it through once. Because I've already got the information. So all that will happen if I read it through once is I'll know information I already know. That ain't going to do it. So now he's bringing us into a further point. Not only is this book different in terms of its goal, it's also different in terms of how you read it. A normal book you read from cover to cover, then you put it down and you say, Shkoyach. This book, you don't read from cover to cover. You read from cover to cover, and then what happens? The only way you can get benefit from this book is through, and he says now two things, repetition and consistency. Two separate points. Repetition means you do it many, many times, and consistency means that there is not a lapse in your review of the information. The information has to be reviewed constantly and the time lapses between the reviewing of the information can't be too great because then it won't be effective. Why not? Nice is the critical words that through this process you'll be able to put upon your heart. You'll be able to focus on what you need to do in this world that you're trying to avoid. Let's divide up ourselves. Just There are many ways of dividing up self. We'll divide up ourselves this way. The loftiest part of our being are our thoughts. The lowest part of our beings are our bodies. Neither of those two components typify and epitomize 
the human condition because the body we share with the animals and the thoughts and the spiritual, the world of ideas we share with the angels. The bridge between the two is something which is not as ethereal as thought yet not as concrete as body. Man is called in the words of our sages a speaker. What speech does is it fuses the spiritual and the physical and makes a mixture of the two. The tongue is the only limb that through the subtle movements that it performs in the recesses of our mouths, it's able to convey the abstract. It's the physical which enacts the abstract. Through the way I speak, deep thoughts are brought down from the highest realm into the place of communication and can be shared with others. It's only because of the movement of my tongue. So it's a limb that moves, it's physical, and it conveys the spiritual. But it conveys the spiritual in such a way that it becomes access to others. It's no longer in the realm of thought, it goes down to the realm of speech. Speech is the bridge between the upper man and the lower man and typifies the human condition. In speech, there are two components to speech. The one component of speech is the actual way the words are formed and the other component of speech is the tone of voice. One is the information, the other is the human part of it. When you hear robotic speech, you know it immediately because the tone gives over the essence of who we are as people. And non-emotive speak would be called non-human. And not only that, but the range of speech based on the component of the sound of the voice fluctuates according to the human condition. And it represents the full spectrum of emotions. And we are tuned to this, and therefore, by listening to the tone of voice, we're able to understand the essence of what the person is trying to convey. So now, the, the place where we exist more powerfully than anywhere else, and if you think about it, we live essentially in the world of speech. It's where we belong. Everything else is either above or below our being. The way we connect, the way we communicate, the way we build relationships, 90% of it is through talking. That's where humanity lives. And in that place, the deepest description of speech is one which has an emotive component to it. In other words, our experience is reflected in what we say, in what we hear and how we say it. And the point of experience that forms the information that we relate in our voice is in the area of the heart. It's not divorced from the passion and it's not lowered to action. The world of emotions and the world of speech fuse together to be one. Are you following me? Good? So now what we want to do is, we want to move the information from up there to down here. But not all the way down, yet. We may do it at a certain stage, but not yet. So it says the Ramchal the following thing. The only way it's possible to gain benefit from this book, if it's not teaching you any new information, is by the repetition and consistent repetition. I'll give an, an, an analogy to this that Rabbi Shua Salanta gives. Shua Salanta was a founder of what's called the Muslim movement. 
And what he introduced was what I'm going to help, hopefully, share with you tonight. Imagine you're trying to teach Yankela, your four-year-old son, how to read. So what do you do? Yankela, Yankela, you've got a big, big, big sheet of paper on the sheet of paper. is emblazoned the, the alphabet. And you say to Yankela, Yankela, what's that? Yankela says, Tati, I don't know. You say, Yankela, where did you get the Yiddish accent? You say, Yankela, Yankela, what is... What is, what is this letter? So Yankel says, I don't know. You say, Yankel, that's an aleph. He goes, yeah? You go, yeah, that's an aleph. Look, there's a sideward vav, and there's a yud on the top and a yud at the bottom. That's what an aleph looks like. So he goes, okay. So you say, Yankel, what's that? He goes, I don't know. So Yankel, Yankel, where are you? Listen, that's an aleph. So then you say to him, Yankel, what is that? He goes, that's an aleph. You go, excellent. Now what happens is, the next day you come to him and you say, Yankala, let's learn Aleph base again. He goes, great. You go, what's that? He says, I don't know. You say, Yankala, that's an Aleph. Now what happens is, after a week, eventually you show it up to him and Yankala, no, that's an Aleph. Well, and eventually he goes on to basically what doesn't have of Zanches until he knows Aleph base and then he starts to read. And when he starts to read, he wants to read Abba. So he goes, Ah, Ba. Because in his mind, he sees an Aleph, sees a bat, and he processes. That's an Aleph. There's a Patach underneath, and there's a Kamatz over here, and there's a Dagesh over there, and that doesn't make a sound. And he has to think all those thoughts. So he goes, Ah, Ba, and he does it. And we all do that at one stage in our life. I mean, I'm assuming everyone here is literate. Okay, <laughs> so, I'm not going to make any more comments about the book, and it hasn't been used, and I'm not going to say anything about you. So, so, assuming we were, that means we once went through that process. We once went through the process. Now, assuming we spent most of our lives reading English, I don't think there's anyone in the room that reads English and you go, no, the, the cat, at, on, the mat. No one does that. What happened? What happened? How can you go the cat's on the mat? And you can even speed read and skim through it. What happened? What, what, what went on with that process? So Ipshar Salanti says the following thing happened. There are two levels of... And this is interesting because he actually he discussed this long, long before Freud came out with, the, with his publications on the subconscious. Um, he said there's two levels of, of the way we function. The first level is the conscious level, and the second is the subconscious level. If you, if you kind of match one against the other, the subconscious is enormously more powerful than the conscious. And it's much more effective, and it's a billion times quicker. So what happens in the process of learning to read is as follows. You start reading, and slowly but surely, your process of reading does n- no longer becomes a conscious act of I see the letter, it has this shape, it has that shape, but it always processed at a super speed in the subconscious until it becomes almost an intuitive reaction to the world around you. How did that process take place? What Dupuisel says is that process took place through repetition and consistency. You went over the same thing again and again and again and again and again, and that's how it sinks deeper. But it doesn't help just to repeat. Because if we taught Yankala Aleph on Monday, and Tuesday he went and he played football in the park, and Wednesday he went to the zoo, and, and next Monday you taught him Aleph again, you'd be teaching him Aleph for the rest of his life. 
because the gap between the two learning periods is too long and therefore there's no integration of the lesson he learned before. So now the Ramchal says a fascinating thing. He says the movement of knowledge from the intellect to the emotional, experiential side of man, man comes about through the same process as learning to read. You actually you move it. You take it from one place and you put it to another. In other words, you take it from understanding and knowledge and you become it. It's no longer understanding or knowing, it's being. That's what he says. That's, that's the basic introduction to the book. So now once he's done that, so now you have the tools to approach the book. Any questions so far? Okay, that's, I mean, that, 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 no, no, that gives, that's, that's what the Muslim movement was about. So the Muslim movement um, designed a process that we could do this. Now the reason why I want to do this with you is because I don't think a person can actually experience and feel what Jesus Christ is um, without gaining the experiential, experiential. And I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but this, personally, I've experienced it, is immensely effective. It's very effective. It takes the ideas and it transforms them from, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, that's right, to <gasps> that point of, <gasps> that gasp that you'll have, in the words of the Bale Musa, is called hispilus. It's just when the idea no longer hits you in the head, but it hits you in the heart. And the whole goal of what was called the Musa Seyed, a specific time, was allotted, different yeshivas, different amounts, but generally it was half an hour a day, sometimes it was longer. There was a half an hour a day of this type of meditation, and through engaging this meditation, there was a slow but sure transformation of a person from being one kind of person who was spiritually desensitized to another type of person that became spiritually awake. In a different, in a different, his, his feeling, his sense of, it was no longer a knowledge, it was a sense of. Tense, eh? Brian, how am I doing here? Got you a game of drink or what? Tomatoes. I, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, are you guys too hot? I, maybe I'm just hot. Yeah, you okay? Okay, so what I would like to show to you is I'd like to just actually go through a little a few of those techniques because I actually think it's something that you can take home with you. And you can take home and again, handle with care. Rabbi Israel put down two rules when it came to learning Musa. Don't be stupid. We call that the 614th commandment. That's a negative commandment. And be normal. That's a positive commandment. Now, being normal is, 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 uh, is again, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty loose. Uh, for example, for me, for me, being normal is like, well, where's something normal? Like, it's black and white. That's <laughs> called normality. So normality is a bit of a tricky one. But so you don't be stupid is global. So now it comes along every so. So what I want to do is I want to take a piece from the Mesesha Shoim and let's do it. So what, what you have to do in order to make this movement from knowledge to experience is the following. Step number one. Step number one, pick a text with the, throughout the entire spectrum of Jewish writings that appeals to you. It could be a Mishnah from Pirkei Avot. 
It could be a line from the Mesilat Yesharim. It could be a verse from the Chumash. It could be a line that you read in another kind of book. Pick something that appeals to you. And step number one. Analyze and understand. The first step is a very strongly cognitive step. So I'm going to do it with you with the first three lines and maybe a little bit further with the Mesilat Yesharim. Start as follows. He says, Yesod... Yesoid Hasidus, the foundation of Hasidut. Hasidut doesn't mean what it comes to refer to in the modern context of Hasidim. This is written before Hasidus was invented. Hasidut means um, a connection to the Creator where you'll extend yourself above and beyond the letter of the law because you have a love of Hashem. The foundation of Hasidut. The shoresh and the root, havodah of the perfect service. Perfect service means that you have such a deep connection to the Creator that you actually you feel there's no ulterior motive in when you behave in alignment with what Hashem wants. It's just focused. You understand. You're connected. So now, ready, you start analyzing. There's two analogies made over here, two metaphorical comparisons. The first one is it introduces the foundation. And the second one is the root. What is the commonality between foundation and root? They both interactive share. They both. What does the foundation do and what does the root do? Thank you. Thank you. There's someone in the share that contributes. She may have heard, she may have heard you before. <laughs> she knew the answer. Um, both, both the foundation and the root, they support the structure. That's a commonality. In order to get a building to stand up, the deeper the foundation, the higher the building. The stronger the root, the higher the tree. That's the commonality. There's a difference between the two. What's the difference between the two? Don't be shy. No, no, you've had your chance. <laughs> What's the difference between the two? Is a root exactly the same? Okay, so I'm going to have to start calling the people. Is a root exactly the same as a foundation? It's <laughs> 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 the classic. <laughs> is a root the same as a foundation? No. Maybe the root is below the earth and the foundation is above. No, the foundation is also below the earth. Man-made. Sorry? Man-made Thank you. Thank you. The foundation is dug and it comes about through proactivity on behalf of me. A root, you take a seed and you plant it and it grows. So already the Ramchal introduces us to two pathways in the service of Hashem. There's a pathway where you need to build step by step, brick by brick, and there's a pathway where you need to grow. And if you mix those two up, you're going to kill your growth. If you're trying to build and you should be growing, for example, if this is a seed that you're planting and you think you're building a building, so the seed, you pull it and you, you kill it. On the other hand, if this is a building that you're meant to be building and you put the brick in the ground and wait for it to grow, ain't nothing going to happen. So there are two different pathways in advancing ourselves in spiritual refinement. One is building and one is planting. One is structural and one is organic. 
and chasidus, a relationship of love, has to be built proactively, and avoided tmimah, a relationship of awe, has to be built passively, organically, which makes perfectly sense, because there are two different directions of movement in the fundamental character traits of who we are, love and fear. Love goes outwards, and fear is restrictive. Love is called hispashtus, stretching out, extending, connecting, and always standing back, constricting. One is hispashtus, one is symptom. So therefore, the one which is extending, you have to get out of yourself and do, and the one which is contracting, you have to be and grow. Analysis of the text. Text, right? So here we go. Yesoid, the foundation. Who? What is it? But what is this foundation now? Hasidus is the highest building. To be so spiritually sensitized that you almost slip off your mortal coil and connect to a creator. It's amazing when we speak about a creator. <laughs> imagine, imagine feeling it. So. It's the highest building. You not only connect, but love. Love. And I avoid that mima where you're so absolutely in awe of the majesty that your actions are perfect. Those are, that's big stuff. I'm imagining that's going to take this year at least the next three weeks to get to. Saying. <laughs> Conservative estimate. Those are, so now, obviously there, the root has to be deep. Because if it's a tall tree, you need a strong root. If it's a high building, you need a deep foundation. You Who? What is it? What is it? What is its foundation? What is its root? What is it? What's going to stabilize the structure and what's going to form the... There's another difference between a root and a foundation, which we hinted to, but we didn't say. The foundation goes as far as you build it, but the root also nourishes the tree. It revitalizes the tree. It keeps on giving it more and more sustenance. So what is it? What are these two roots? What is, the, what is this root? What is this foundation? What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? <laughs> what is it? None of you have the book. I'm the only one the book. I can close it now and go home. You'll never know. I'll get Brian to take the book off his shelf. No more. No more. What is it? What is this root? Now, the reason why I'm stopping here and not telling you is because you need to want to know. Otherwise, it's pointless. So there's a root and there's a foundation. And if we have the root and if we have the foundation, then we can, we can construct a different sense of self. We can become people who are transcendent. Transcendent means right as the following thing. A person becomes limited by his physical body and his mind constructs. And the physical body is very limiting because the physical body has a very, very weak range of application. If you, the Chavis of Abbas, one of the great Muslim texts, points out that man is the most pathetic of all creatures. You take a baby and you put it in the wild, it will die within days. Man is weak and pathetic. I always find it fascinating. Now, and I'm going to say something which is probably the most offensive thing you're going to hear this evening, which is, makes everything else like pretty tame in comparison. Um, the greatness of man. Where would you say the greatness of man is best located? The greatness. The greatness of man is best located. Where would you typify man? Where, where does man contribute? Where does man excel? 
intellectual ability? Intellectual abilities and, like we said, the fusion on the intellect and emotion. He's not an angel, but that impassioned speech which brings together and unifies this deep understanding of the creation and expresses it in, in poetry, in literature, in, in connection, in relationships. In That's where man excels, correct? Where do animals excel? Animals are great at physical activity. Now, what would you say if you found a man that channeled his human greatness into becoming an animal? For example, Olympic swimming. An athlete. Here you have a man that he trains for years and years and years and hours and hours and hours and eventually he becomes a pathetic dolphin. <laughs> Explain it to me. Explain it to me. And everyone goes, wow, look at that. He's like as good as a two-year-old dolphin. He's an amazing man. Great. Marvelous. <laughs> That's bizarre. That's absolutely bizarre. Now, for him to do it, Poseidon, you haven't should go in. But the fact that people applaud. Applaud. <laughs> Look at you. That's ah, what he's for me. You're mad. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I like the look. <laughs> 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 I was a swimmer. <laughs> so, 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 okay. So here you go. So you need you need this foundation. Well, what do you think it is? What do you think the root is? Where where will this? What's the foundation? What could it be? What could it be? What could it be? What's going, to, what's going to lift me up from that? What's going to elevate me? What's going to make me this, this, this transcendent, godly being? On a structured set of rules, right? Something that, that allows you to, to define... Oh, great. A roadmap with directions. That's, you're saying location, godliness, and if you know how to get there, so you follow, you follow the map. A map. Well, not a roadmap. No, I mean metaphorically. It's like a, like a plan, right? A, a plan. A plan. How deep the foundations Great. Be, Great. 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 Fantastic. Any other suggestions? The from answer. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> so the, the Ramchal says, he says, not quite what you're saying. He says the following thing. He says, this foundation and this root is a person has to have clarity and reality. It has to be real, not just clear in his mind, but real. What is his obligation in his world? What does he have to do? What's his mission? And interestingly enough, he uses the possessive pronoun in both. He doesn't say, what's his obligation in the world? He says, what's his obligation in his world? So then he opens up the whole, the whole spectrum of individual missions that we're all empowered and entrusted to do. Every single person has his own world. And every single person's world differs from that of everyone else. My world is made up by the, my, the people closest to me, by my natural talents and abilities, by my location in history. The, 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 the goal that I have and the job that I have to do today is radically different from 100 years ago, 
200 years ago, a thousand years ago. My job in Sydney is very different from my job in Yerushalayim, which is very different from my job in Joburg or London or Canada. As you change geography and history, so then your world changes. And when your world changes, your goal changes, your mission changes, you've got something else to do. Because context needs something else done to them. So the first thing a person has to know is what his obligation in his world. And the second thing you have to know, and you have to know what you have to do, and you also have to know where are your sights set. Where are you looking to go to? Where are you looking to go to? And then he goes on to explain the following thing. Vihine. Vihine. Okay. Just, I want to time this right. Brian, how much more time do we have? Minus 20 minutes. <laughs> Did I mention that this was a six-part series? <laughs> All happening tonight. <laughs> so, speed up. Okay. So, let's just, I just, we haven't gone on to the, the freaky part of this year yet. The freaky? Yeah. No. <laughs> <coughs> so, it says as follows. The Ramchal goes, He named Masha, Harun Chachomin, Zichrain of Rachot, the Chachomin told us, Adam in the Nivra, Elad is under Hashem. There's one purpose in creation. There's a singular purpose in creation. The only purpose in creation. Man was only created to get pleasure from the Creator. The entire purpose of creation was that man should experience pleasure. And he should derive benefit from the lust of Hashem's presence, meaning he should have an enlightenment in his being. And why is that? Because that is the greatest possible, imaginable pleasure that could ever exist. And that's the purpose of creation. Only what? The purpose of creation is not realized upon arrival on the earth. There's a delay. The delay is called this world. This world is a tiny blips in time which extends, which bridges. It's a very narrow bridge. It's a very narrow bridge. A very narrow bridge that bridges between the the world of the soul before it enters into the body and the world of the soul before it, after it leaves the body. After it leaves the body, the soul exists for eternity. And before it leaves, the, before it gets into the body, it existed from eternity, from the very beginning of time. So you have this soul which is essentially stretching back as far as can, we can imagine and stretching forward to, to infinity. And there's this tiny little blips in time called life. It's this tiny little narrow bridge between these two very, very, very distant extremes. Tiny, and that's called life. In that small blips of time, it's almost insignificant, but it's absolutely crucial. Because that tiny 70 years, 80 years, 120 years allows a person to change everything going forward. That defines what his Olam Haba will be, what he will be as an eternal being. There's a very, there's a very common misperception that there's a difference between life and death. There's absolutely no difference in persona between life and death. The only thing that changes when a person dies is he, his body leaves him. But his being remains identical as it was in this world. So a person that's spiritually sensitized, he goes into a world which is spiritual and he feels enraptured. He's come to heaven. A person that was spiritually desensitized, he's arrived in hell. It's like going to shore when you hate it. <laughs> it's hell. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the purpose is to experience the pleasure. But there's a place called 120 years, which is called the place for working. That's what we have for. We have to work. That's what our purpose is in this place, and we have to achieve. We have to know what our mission is. What's our mission? Our mission is realized by connecting to becoming as godlike as we possibly can. We're all called an image of God. An image of God, a photograph of God, as it were, means that the photograph has to represent the thing that's been taken a photo of. So you have the all-kind, all-good creator, and you have to embody that. The way we are guided to embody that is through this incredible, incredible life companion known as the Torah, which teaches us how we can unwrap and unpack the greatness of self. That process occurs in this world. In order that, once we've done that, we'll be able to connect to the ultimate goodness in the world to come, and we'll be able to realize the most sublime of all pleasures. That's just in a nutshell. And this is the most, this is the root, and this is the foundation. This is the root and foundation. That knowledge of what we have to do is work, to achieve, to purify, to refine. And every single thing that we encounter is a test to bring out that greatness, to bring out that transcendence, to not become limited by physicality, but break the boundaries thereof. That forms the basis and the bedrock of who we are. That's the first part of the first chapter in the Ramchal, and that's the foundation, and that's the root. But that still remains knowledge now. Now we have to make it into feeling. So now what Rabbi Shisrael said is you have to go through by using repetition. And the repetition has to be accompanied by two things. One is the usage of the voice because the voice represents the person's heart and by the tone and sound of your voice you're able to give over the meaning which is not locked within the words. It's too profound for the words to contain. And that repetition awakens inside of a person the feeling and not just the knowledge of. And then a person should access his power to visualize and to the degree that he can imagine three senses in his mind's eye what that may feel like. So the way the Bible Musa would go through this paragraph is as follows. Loi nivra shehadam that the person loi nivra elolis ane galashem shehadam loi nivra elolis ane galashem that the person wasn't created but to derive pleasure from Hashem shehadam loi nivra elolis ane lehisaneig lehisaneig al Hashem v'lehenois miziv shchinosoi v'lehenois miziv shchinosoi v'lehenois miziv shchinosoi that person wasn't created but only to derive to get pleasure to get the enjoyment from Hashem shehadam okay now that what that does is, you do that, but imagine doing that for half an hour. That, that idea sinks down from the intellect and it starts to be felt and starts to be experienced. And when that happens, so it changes everything. But you only do that, that's a half an hour a day, and you don't feel the change immediately. But slowly but surely, the body must compare it to a person that takes a, very, uh, takes a pencil and he draws a very faint line over a piece of paper. 
you can barely see it and then he does it again and then he does it again and again until the line becomes dark black if a person spends a little time each day involved in this kind of meditative process he creates a reality which is so different from the boring dull and dreary reality that we live in that spirituality becomes exciting it becomes it becomes attractive become something that com- can compete with the lure of the world around us. And if we don't do this, I have no idea how we can win the battle of trying to create transcendent spirituality in the world which is so powerful, so powerful. How, how can we match that? We can't fight fire with boredom. We can't find fire with patheticness. We have to find fire with fire. This is fire. The end. <laughs> Any questions? <coughs>